According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me again this morning in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. We are uh, working our way through verses... Well, I think we've wrapped up verses 18, 19, and 20. And so now we're ready to look at verses 21 and beyond. Real quick, before I open in prayer, remember I w- there is no Proverbs class next week. Next week is the Schaefer Seminary Conference, and so we will not be having ladies' prayer, we will not be having Proverbs, and uh, we will have pulpit supply. Uh, Pastor Dan Craw will be speaking uh, in the evening next, next Wednesday night. All right. God is spirit, must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Let's take a moment of silent prayer to humble our hearts under the authority of Bible doctrine. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the truth of your word and the privilege and blessing that it is for us to assemble together. Father, we have no right to be here, not in ourselves. Uh, Father, we should be, we're sinners, we should be in the lake of fire, but by your grace we are redeemed, by your grace we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to our account, and by your grace, here we are once again, uh, presenting ourselves before you as workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we thank you for this time, bless it, multiply it, uh, accomplish all your good pleasure. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so to show partiality is not good. Because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. All right, we have a single verse Proverbs here, a proverb that's not linked to other verses in the near context, and so we're going to handle it as an individual poetic unit, obviously with an A part and with a B part. The idea of showing partiality, you got a footnote there, to regard the face. <laughs> and in other words, just... Again, it's, a, it's an expression, it's an idiom that applies to partiality, and, and we're prohibited against that. It's, it's because it's not consistent with God's own character. God does not show partiality. He's not a, a respecter of persons. He's not impressed with anybody besides himself and his own plan and his own glory and the issues there. This is the sixth and final not good proverb that we have in the book of Proverbs. Six times you have the statement of not good, and this is the final one. Uh, Three out of those six all center on the issues of partiality, and so it's not uh, a bad idea to refresh our minds on this and to uh, to understand some of the the dynamics that go with it. It's always a good reminder when the, when the Bible itself repeats itself again and again and again, then uh, we it would behoove us to pay heed to those reminders again and again and again, and uh, and always stay fresh on these different principles. So the not good proverbs you see them listed on the left in point eighteen. Uh, starting with Proverbs 17.26, Proverbs 18.5, that's one of the partiality ones, 19.2, 24.23, that's another one of the partiality ones, and then uh, 25.27, and then of course the sixth one is where we are today in uh, Proverbs 28.21. So we can run through these and and remind ourselves of what uh, we have previously studied. Back in chapter 17, it is also not good to find the righteous, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. All right. To find the righteous. Why would you find the righteous? What kind of government assigns a tax or a penalty or a, 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 a judicial consequence 
for being righteous, right? You should be finding the unrighteous. You, your, your court should be rewarding virtue and rewarding righteousness, and law-abiding citizens should have nothing to fear from, uh, from uh, the courts or the government. But to find the righteous, to strike the noble for their uprightness, uh, when you start to realize, hey, you know what, I can make some money with this, and uh, then you end up perverting justice, and you end up with a culture similar to what we have today, where uh, you got folks that think that the, the legal system is like winning the lottery. You can just go after somebody with deep pockets, and, and you can win a judgment, and, uh, and, uh, and there you have it. So perversions of justice, and those are not good. Those are not good. Uh, Proverbs 18.5, one of the partiality not good statements. To show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. Again, similar contrast uh, or context to what we were looking at in chapter 17. Uh, the perversions in the legal system, perversions in courts with uh, uh, judges that are, that are crooked and, and all the rest. So there should not be partiality. Justice is supposed to be blind. Justice is supposed to be according to an absolute standard of righteousness. And then to, uh, to have different standards for different people because you're regarding one face as better than the other face, well, what is that about? How, can you, how do you treat people differently in a, uh, in a legal proceeding? So uh, clearly partiality is not good. Could you think about it? If God showed partiality with us, where would we be? <laughs> right? None of us would be saved. Why, why, would we, why would we deserve that? Or to thrust aside the righteous in ju judgment. So no, the, the way this universe is designed and uh, the way it should function if it's following God's plan is, uh, is to punish the evildoers, to punish the criminals and not reward the criminals and punish the law-abiding. And uh, many, many illustrations of that. And um, of course, I think I probably shared a few when we were in Proverbs 18. But uh, one of the things that it's one of the easiest to illustrate is the idea of, of gun control and gun control laws, which the criminals don't pay attention to anyway. It's no real punishment for the criminals because they don't follow the existing laws. You know, new laws aren't going to be any different than the existing laws. But the, the only folks that follow those kind of laws are the law abiding. And so what do you end up doing is you end up uh, punishing the law-abiding and rewarding the, uh, the, the criminal. And that is, uh, as, as the Bible says, that's not good. <laughs> and I agree, it's not good. And so uh, you have those issues there. All right, Proverbs 19 and verse 2. Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge, and he who hurries his footsteps errs. And so, um, obviously, ignorance. When, when is ignorance rewarded? Okay. It is not good to be without knowledge. And, and get the information you need and make the best decisions you can based upon the information that you have and then get more information, okay? And don't hurry. Don't try to rush things through. That's the, that's the panic approach. That's the, the used car salesman that doesn't want you to get to think about things. And, and if you stop and you slow down and you think things through, you're going to make better decisions. Pray about it. Search the scriptures. Uh, come to a, to a place of, of conviction and peace and rest. Um, it's not faith rest if you just jump at something in a panic, okay? And so you have those issues there. I think the admonishment in Second Thessalonians is powerful. Do not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed uh, by a letter or a spirit or anything to, to the fact that the day of the Lord has come. And that whole church was thrown into a turmoil because of a, a counterfeit letter that came with Paul's name on it that said, oh, you missed the rapture. There is no rapture. I was wrong. You're in the tribulation. You know, buckle up. <laughs> and, and you can imagine 
the whole flock would be in turmoil thinking, oh no, Paul was wrong, there is no rapture, we're going to go through tribulation, and, uh, and we're in it now. You know, I think that would be a, that'd be a terrible message to hear from the Apostle Paul, but it's not true, and it wasn't from the Apostle Paul, and it was a forgery, and, uh, and the issues there. But in that admonishment, Paul said, don't be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed. Take the time, slow down, think it through, pray over it, search the scriptures. That's noble-minded to see if these things are so. So, don't be without knowledge and don't hurry your, uh, your footsteps. Uh, Proverbs 24, 23. These also are the sayings of the wise. So now, this gets into a, a different section. That's a section heading within the book of Proverbs itself. But the very first one of these also is to show partiality in judgment is not good. It's just open defiance of what God has called. Remember, any, um, any judgment capacity that you have, if it's political, if it's social, if it's whatever the judgment capacity is, and you should have discernment, right? We should have discernment in our volition. We should have discernment in our marriage. We should have discernment in our families. We should have discernment in our nations. And so whatever your authority is for making decisions, okay, if, uh, if you're a parent and you, you have to make decisions amongst your children, well then in that venue, what do you think God thinks about partiality? <laughs> okay, or within marriage, partiality, or in any venue, in a local church, in the responsibilities I have as a shepherd of a flock, is, is partiality there? Is that, is that acceptable? There is no venue where partiality is acceptable because it's a violation of God's own nature. And so we stand before God and we're reflections of his righteousness and his justice in uh, the positions that he puts us in. And so to show partiality in judgment is not good. It's, a, it's, a, it's an affront. It's an affront to God's own nature, which I think is why Satan likes uh, perverting it as often as he can. Proverbs uh, twenty-five twenty-seven. It is not good to eat much honey. Ooh, this one, this one hurts because I like honey. Huh? Peanut butter and honey sandwiches, those are yeah, seven days a week. I can eat that forever. Um, but even a good thing, too much of a good thing is not good. And so uh, the principles there also, yeah, and honey is good. It's spoken of favorably. It's a natural sweetener. It's, it's got positive things in the scripture. But too much of it is not good. Nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. So the tandem of those issues there. Searching out your own glory. I mean, why? Searching out your own wealth. Searching out your own fame. Searching out your own... How about just seeking the Lord and following his leadership? And then whatever else comes in the meantime, he handle, he'll handle that. It, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added. Keep the first things first. And then, of course, the one today. To show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. Now we get into an interesting idiom. And this one gets my attention because we've had it before, actually. The piece of bread illustration came up in, back in chapter 6. And, and that was a strange reference, too, with respect to um, fornication and harlotry and the issues there. This... Um, Partiality uh, reference here, for a piece of bread a man will transgress. And, and think about it. Think about how cheap a piece of bread is. Think about of all the things that you can purchase, all the things that you could buy that uh, in, in daily life, okay, um, 
you know, and, and not even a whole loaf of bread, just a piece of bread. And that's even cheaper. Okay? And, and you would expect that, you know, a loaf of bread would be a pretty, pretty basic commodity or a, lo- a handful of flour so you can bake your own loaf kind of a thing. But, but just a piece, that's even cheaper than, than the entire loaf. And, and how, when, when you're showing this partiality, when, when you're open for um, bribery, when, when people realize that you're open for bribery, then, uh, then you're on that slippery slope, and boy, does it go downhill quickly. And then you start finding out that you, you've already compromised your integrity, you're already uh, shameless in those regards, and now you start to find out just how cheap you can be. <laughs> just how, because it's a matter of bargaining at that point, and then it's a matter, you've already made the compromises, and, uh, and how, how bad does it get in different, uh, in different contexts? Would, could you really be bought for a piece of bread? I mean, seriously, are, is your price that low? I don't know. Makes me wonder. The um, we watch the the movie Luther every year for uh, Reformation Day, and there's a scene in there where the Pope sends an emissary to uh, to Frederick, and and Frederick had been protecting uh, Luther and and so forth, um, but he sends this little bribe to Frederick, trying to influence him to stop protecting Luther. And, and Frederick was, was um, he was embarrassed. He was insulted, actually. It was, it was, it was uh, he said a, he can't believe that, that the Pope thought he could be bought so easily, bought so cheaply. And it was just so insulting, um, the gift that the Pope had sent for him. And I think that's part of what we're looking at here. This uh, piece of bread illustration demonstrating the utter cheapness of such sin, I think is interesting. Now, we had this idiom before, in uh, Proverbs 6.26, and it was in a context that didn't really seem to make sense at the time, and now I'm starting to think about it more. Um, And I don't want to read the whole chapter here, but this is in the early part of Proverbs, the parental wisdom portion, where you have a father and a mother that are pouring out their heart to Solomon and training up a child. Uh, We call this parental wisdom with all of the my son uh, exhortations. So, uh, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. And so you can't forsake. You've got to learn, keep learning, keep living. Doctrine has to be real. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake, they will talk to you. You know, your parents won't always be there. And eventually you're going to grow up and leave home and you'll be on your own. You need to be grounded in the Word of God. This is where your your wisdom will come from. This is where your guidance will happen. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. So learn it when you're young and then keep keep living it uh, throughout your entire earthly walk. Now, to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, Okay? And this is the illustration here, and it comes up again and again and again. And there's other things as well. Drunkenness is addressed. The sluggard is addressed. Um, there, there are a lot of sins that are addressed in Proverbs, but it's the fornication sin that is given repeatedly in these first nine chapters. And uh, warning against harlotry to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth mouth, uh, smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart nor let her capture you with her eyelids. 
recognize she does have a beauty. There is an outer beauty that is attractive. There's not, it's not a sin to be attracted to something that's attractive, but then you have to, you have to apply doctrine and, and realize, wait a minute, that's not mine, and uh, it's wrong, and you, uh, and you resist the temptations. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. And so there's this um, idiom, this loaf of bread, and how cheap is that? That's the, that's the point. How cheap is that? And how cheaply will you sell your soul? And the damage that you do with, with the, uh, the harlotry, with the fornication, and the, the price that you pay, all right? And it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's more than what you think it is in whatever you think you're, you're, you're getting for the, the cash transaction that you're making here um, with respect to this, okay? Anyway, reduced to a loaf of bread. If, if, uh, if, if you're reducing the marital activity to a transaction, if you're reducing it to a, uh, an, a, a trade or a barter or a, uh, uh, some kind of a, a transaction, instead of uh, what it's designed to be within the, the sanctity of marriage and for the, the pleasure and blessing and glory of, uh, of the Lord, then it's just transactional. Now, how cheap are you making it? Well, how about loaf of bread cheap? <laughs> okay. Or, or worse, piece of bread cheap, like we have it in chapter 28 today. Can, uh, for an adulteress hunts for the precious life. She's on the hunt, and it's, uh, it's actually the soul, the nephesh, that she's devouring. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Nope, 100 times out of 100. You have a lit torch and you shove it down your shirt, guess what? <laughs> you can't take fire in your bosom and not be burned. Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? No, it just doesn't happen. That's not how the world works. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. You know, people think they can get away with sins. They think they can, they can mitigate them. They think that they can, you know, practice uh, safe sex or whatever. And uh, no, you're con- you are committing a sin, and there will be consequences for that sin. And that's the issue there. Anyway, uh, the connection uh, again comes back to the piece of bread, the loaf of bread. The, um, the cheapness of, uh, of these sins, demonstrating the utter cheapness of such sin. Another verse that comes to mind for this is Ezekiel 13 and verse 19. Ezekiel 13 and verse 19. And again, without reading an entire chapter here, let's just pick up. In verse 17 it says, Now you, son of man, that's Ezekiel as he was addressed, Set your face against the daughters of your people who are prophesying from their own inspiration. Prophesy against them. And this is where you can't show partiality. You've got to, you're, you're, you're speaking as unto the Lord on behalf of the Lord, and you can't be, uh, you can't be showing partiality. Okay? You've got to set your face against them. And prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord God, Woe! to the women who sew magic bands on all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature to hunt down lives. Okay, again, the issue here is the fornication. The issue here is the seductiveness of these false prophetesses, the, uh, the, the rampant fornication that goes into these fertility cults and the issues there as well. And notice, 
magic bands and veils. Um, so a lot of the, uh, I mean, it's not against lingerie per se, but it's against the, 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 the usages that they put these things to in the demonism, in the false religion, in the, uh, the system that they were employing. Okay? And again, they're hunting lives. It's the same nefesh. It's the same uh, nefesh that we had in Proverbs 6. Will you hunt down the lives of my people but preserve the lives of others for yourselves? And then notice how cheaply this is. For, the hand, for handfuls of barley and, a fragment, and fragments of bread, almost word for word like we have it in Proverbs 28, a piece of bread. For handfuls of barley and fragments of bread, you have profaned me to my people to put to death some who should not die and to keep others alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies. And, then, and obviously this is probably the worst that Judah ever got at the point of their national destruction and the, the uh, carrying off into captivity. Uh, it, Daniel was taken early, Ezekiel was taken early, and these messages given to Ezekiel, um, I don't recall exactly where this chapter fits in that in that uh, destruction, but it, clearly it's that generation that sees Jerusalem destroyed. And look how cheaply, for handfuls of barley and fragments of bread. Really? So ask yourself this, because how costly is the soul? If you should gain the whole world and forfeit your soul, is it worth it? You know, and think about who you're betraying when you decide, uh, you know, not God's will, but mine be done. And <laughs> you decide that my priorities are more important than what God would have for me to do. How cheaply are you betraying the Lord? What do you really think you're going to get out of it? Okay? Again, we've got other examples too. You think about Moses, who uh, did not regard the treasures of Egypt, right? But he chose to rather endure the ill treatment with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And uh, so many illustrations there as well. Anyway, so yeah, the utter cheapness of such sin. I think these not good Proverbs, especially the ones that are addressing uh, partiality, this final not good partiality proverb employs that piece of bread illustration. And if that doesn't work for you, then change it out to something else, right? Something that we, I'm sure we've got idioms today that we, that we use for something that's just so cheap it's not even worth thinking about, Okay. You know, we talk about wouldn't give two cents or something like that. Just some expression that we have that talks about the utter frivolity and cheapness of, uh, of something. And uh, that's what this partiality does. All right, then we get to the evil eye. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. So Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-two. now. The evil eye. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. Evil eye hastens after wealth, so he's in a hurry. He's not going to follow the biblical principles because the biblical principles for the accumulation of wealth, that takes time. That takes faithfulness. That takes work. That takes um, productivity and consistent uh, um, uh, savings and reinvestment and consistent uh, laying up as unto the Lord. Uh, the Bible does talk about 
many uh, uh, principles related to the accumulation of wealth and the and the uh, the, the benefits there, and it's, and none of it's quick. None of it is is just overnight. That's what Satan promises. Satan promises the quick, the quick and easy. And so uh, the issue they're on hastening after. Also, the idiom itself for the evil eye is not what some people would make it out to be. And then Proverbs consistently describes a good eye as the generous man, the evil eye as the stingy man. So that comes up again and again, too. And so uh, you might recall in chapter 22 and verse 9, he who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. And that idiom for generosity is a good eye. That the good eye, he who is generous, he who has a good eye, will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. And it's described as a good eye. You're generous. You have, uh, you have an abundance. You see somebody in need. You want to be a blessing as unto the Lord. You want to be uh, an imitator of God. And that's a good eye. And you, and you recognize, hey, this is my opportunity to be generous, my opportunity to demonstrate grace. And, and you count it a blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a positive thing. But the evil eye doesn't look at things that way. The evil eye looks at the one in need and says, oh. And you're stingy, and you're greedy, and you don't have that generous spirit. Proverbs uh, 23, 6. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man. That's the man with the evil eye. Or desire his delicacies. Yeah, that's the idiom, the evil eye. He's selfish, he's greedy, he's stingy. He's not generous. This was a uh, fun... Uh, there were a lot of uh, practical applications in this chapter. When you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're a man of great appetite. <laughs> okay, Maybe you find yourself in a setting that you're not accustomed to, in a place that you, know, you really don't belong, and you're, you've been invited and you're... you're, you're pretty much above your station and, and you're not you know you can't wait to get home <laughs> and, and get back in your normal circumstances and uh, you know this, this guy invited you and you have to wonder what does he want why am I here how dangerous is this and if I say the wrong thing if I do the wrong thing if I if I eat the wrong thing or I eat too much man so just put a knife to your throat okay metaphorically not not a real knife okay if you're a man of great appetite, and do not desire his delicacies, for it is deceptive food. The worst thing of all is you can start to think, man, I deserve this. I should eat like this all the time. Why does this guy get this? I should have this. And then you start to desire those delicacies. And that's why, no, you should have your knife to your throat and, and don't, don't start lusting after those things. Okay? Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Another great follow-up to that opening paragraph. And then another dinner uh, context. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man. So the man with the evil eye. All right, now this is, maybe it's the same guy, maybe it's a different guy, it doesn't matter. But now you've been invited, 
And you've been invited to somebody that, that resents having to invite you. He doesn't want to share his food with you. And yes, you're his guest, but he's, he's, he's resenting it. He's greedy. He's selfish. Don't desire, don't eat his bread, don't desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He may say to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. All right, so there's some other dynamic that's going on there as well. And, he, and he's going to resent every bite you take. He's going to resent, uh, uh, and, and maybe even, he's going to hold it against you down the road. He's going to want something in return, okay? Next week, a month later, whenever. Said, hey, pal, my turn now. You will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. <laughs> so, yeah, this verse here, uh, this tandem here, verses 6, 7, and 8, we had a lot of fun with that, I remember, as we, as we were back in that chapter. All right, so the, uh, the evil eye. Uh, besides the biblical illustrations, there's another usage in the Septuagint. Um, Sirach is not canonical, does not belong in the Old Testament. It is not scripture, but it is wisdom. It is Jewish wisdom literature from the Second Temple period. And um, a wicked eye envieth his bread and is a niggard at his table. Okay? Back when you could put that word in a book and not get in trouble. <laughs> Which is stupid, because it's not even the same word as the other one. But, uh, but people see that word and then they freak out. Anyway, that's biblically what the evil eye is about. The evil eye is stingy, greedy, not generous. It's the opposite of the good eye, which is generous and ready to share and looking for those opportunities. That's the biblical um, principles that apply with respect to the evil eye. Now, later on, you might be familiar with some of the medieval Roman and medieval superstitions. Um, they don't come from the scriptures. They don't come from biblical texts. Um, this is from the Dictionary of Phrases and Fable. The entry here on the evil eye. It was uh, anciently believed that the eyes of some persons darted noxious rays on objects which they glared upon. That there, there was a power in that evil eye. And certain people had it. Certain people were gifted with it. And um, I'm sure there was some demonism involved and there was some other kind of cursing that would take place in the, the, uh, the witchcraft of the ancient world. Um, but the idea of shooting evil, noxious rays out of your eyes. The, uh, the first morning glance of such eyes was certain destruction to man or beast. But the destruction was not unfrequently the result of emaciation. All right, Virgil, there's a Latin poet, speaks of an evil eye making cattle lean. And so, um, anyway, that's kind of a, a background on that. You would also have um, these other Latin phrases here. You have jetator, that's one with the evil eye who always brings ill luck. It's the opposite of mascata. The one with a good eye always brings good fortune. Mascata, one who brings good luck and possesses a good eye. Okay, contrary of jettatory or one with an evil eye who always brings bad luck. And you got other things there, even an opera called La Mascate. 
All right. I'm not, I'm not big on opera, and I, I can't really illustrate on this anymore, but I can tell you this word mascate is where we get our football mascots, our college mascots. Okay? So you get Bevo running around, or you get uh, whatever college mascot you have, the Georgia Bulldogs, and I forget that guy's name, and, and whatever. All, every school has a mascot. And, and the concept of a mascot is this good luck charm. It's this good luck. You want to you bring your, your team good luck so that happy things can happen on the, on the football field or, or things like that. So it's the, ob, ob, it's the opposite of the jettatory. The good eye and the evil eye. All right? See where these superstitions come from? <laughs> and we still have them with us to this day. All right. Anyway, um, that's not biblical, so don't confuse the evil eye um, with uh, anything biblical. In the Proverbs, you got generosity versus stinginess. That's the issue there. Did, did you have a question about that? Probably a lot of Catholicism buys into that superstition, and the Orthodox buys into that superstition, a lot of the medieval senses. You know, I mean, there were a lot of things, too, even... Even phrases like God bless you when somebody sneezes. We say God bless you because the medieval view was that you were expelling demons. <laughs> that you, were, you had the sickness because there was a demon inside you. And so then you sneezed. Well, God bless you for expelling that demon from inside of you. You know, no, I just sneezed. Okay, it's cedar season. It's Austin. That's what happens. So yeah, you end up with a lot of, and we still, to this day, do we not say God bless you when people sneeze or when people cough or, or things like that? It's still uh, in the English language and common usage as uh, really a, the, the descendant of a medieval superstition. So yeah, the evil eye, um, good luck charms. Um, I used to have a lucky rabbit foot keychain. Okay, stupid, right? Didn't bring the rabbit any luck. What kind of what kind of luck is it going to bring me? So, anyway, yeah, don't go for the superstitions. Let's talk about. Um, let's see, that was twenty-eight, twenty-two. Yeah, a man with an evil eye—that is the stingy man, the greedy man, the the Ebenezer Scrooge, right? That that doesn't want to spare anything for anybody. And, and hastening after wealth, that's their, that's their pursuit. They're constantly chasing it. They never stop. Does not know that want will come upon him. When you're maladjusted to divine norms and standards on, uh, on true wealth, okay, then you get totally absorbed in, in earthly wealth. You have no concept. Like the, the man Jesus rebuked, he said, this night your soul is required of you. He called him a fool. And said, this, this night your soul is required of you, and now who will own all that you have gathered? Certainly not you, because you're not taking it with you. You're gone. And now uh, your, your ungrateful kid inherits it or something, right? Somebody else has it now. You don't have it. And, uh, and, and the principle says, so is the man who is rich for himself and not rich towards God. That's the, that's the expression you have in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And so he does not know that want will come upon him. And it's something, when you get some people and, and they're, they're, they're as rich as you can be in earthly terms, they think they have everything that money can buy, 
because they think they have enough money to buy anything they want and they don't really know how much they truly do want, that they have a lack, they have a need, it's a spiritual want, it's a spiritual lack. And uh, this is uh, the tragic outcome of it there. All right. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. And we've had several Proverbs, and I, and I threw out a challenge last week. I'm, I'm really growing convinced, I don't know, if, uh, because we're so far into this, right? Almost 28 chapters into this, there's only 29, 30, and 31 remaining. Um, it, it seems like every verse we come to is a topic that has already been addressed earlier in the book of Proverbs, okay? I'm going to be shocked if we encounter something that we go, oh, haven't seen that principle yet. Here's something new. That, that we didn't get to until Proverbs 31, but um, we may. But we've had rebukes before. We've been told that sometimes, don't bother. The rebuke isn't going to do any good. The fool won't even listen to the rebuke, okay? But then we've had other Proverbs that say, well, okay, maybe he will listen to the rebuke. Maybe it will wake him up. And so, again, we were not claiming these as doctrines. We're not claiming these as promises. Every one of these is a principle, and the principle sits in its own context, and it has to be juxtaposed with every other principle uh, as, as they sit in their context. So this one here I find interesting because it's a contrast between rebuking and flattering. That's the A and B part of the poetry. In the A part, you're rebuking. In the B part, you're flattering. And you could really do either to the same person. <laughs> and, um, and, and why would you... Why would you flatter instead of rebuke? If, if the behavior deserves a rebuke, then rebuke. Why are you flattering instead? Why are you praising the wickedness? Um, and then other things get contrasted here as well. The favor that is found. This is one of the more than Proverbs also. With more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Is that why you were flattering? You were hoping to find favor? You were hoping to, uh, to win his favor? You were hoping to, to put yourself in a positive light so that he would treat you uh, well? You'll get something out of it if you, if, you, uh, if you flatter the person? Is that what you were hoping? It's possible you'll actually get more favor in the long run Maybe favor in earthly terms and favor in spiritual terms. Maybe eternal favor with a rebuke rather than the flattery. Beyond that, the, uh, I think the other uh, element of this verse that really sets it apart from um, any other proverb that mentions rebuke, and this is where, uh, again, you can come back, you can look at the word, you can find all the usages in uh, in the Proverbs, do your word study, pull it out, and, uh, and find all of the Proverbs usages. But I don't know that we've ever had a Proverbs use, uh, usage of this rebuke where the, um, the time consideration was referenced. Now this, uh, this is not an immediate gratification application here in this verse. He who rebukes a man will afterwards... It might be the case that the initial response is 
dark. The initial response is, is ugly. It's like pearls before swine or, or bread to the dogs. You're getting trampled. You, you offered a rebuke, and man, they just responded with an ugliness and just threw it back in your face, and, 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 and the immediate response was very um, poor. But then give it some time. Let it sink in. Maybe uh, additional rebukes might follow from other people. And then the cumulative effects of, of these things all start to dawn on the person, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's me, okay? Uh, there's, there's seven people here telling me that, uh, that, that I've, I've got a, a problem. And we had those Proverbs too, right? That the, the fool can consider himself wiser than seven wise men. And then what do they know? And, don't you, and, and those kind of people and that kind of arrogance, you, you know, they're not going to listen to seven wise men. Until they do. Until maybe the day comes. And you don't know how, the time frame on that. You don't know how long that might take. There could be a lengthy passage of time whereby that, that rebuke, uh, you know, marinates or stews or, or just simmers on the back burner. Afterwards, can fruit be born decades from now based on something that was said yesterday? Yeah. It absolutely can. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is a marvelous way of bringing to remembrance things that you, you even you forgot about and forgot that you forgot about. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, you remember this? It's beautiful when that happens. And so you have, um, and, and I put it this way in the notes, sometimes the tough communication of truth has a delayed appreciation. Okay? A, a delayed appreciation. It, it always has the, 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 the power and the truth and the, you know, that doesn't change. But the receptivity does change. And the appreciation does change. And there are things that you might not appreciate one day and then come to appreciate them later. And this is the, the principle that you have with discipline in Hebrews chapter 12. And, and our Father who loves us. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Thank God for this. We are sons. We are sons of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Embrace it. Crave it. Love it. Be thankful for it. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It can be painful. This is not a light discipline. This is not a slap on the wrist. Scourging is, is severe. But that's the idiom that's used. It is for discipline that you endure. You know, without the discipline, what, what, what value is there in the Christian walk? God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Rhetorical question. Answer it for yourself. The son that the father doesn't love. How about that for an answer? Or the son whom the father does not acknowledge. That's not my son. Okay? And that's somebody else's problem. Or, yeah, that's my son, but I don't care. He's worthless. I hate him. Okay? And so, I'm not going to discipline him. Just do whatever he wants. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Yeah, that's, that's a... Very direct question. But thankfully, God loves us. God disciplines us. He loves us enough to discipline us. 
and uh, the issue there <laughs> that my dad loved to tell that story about his mother because when he gets spanked and he as he's crying he would tell his mother he said you don't love me and then my grandma Mary she um, she that would make her spank him even harder you know I, of course I love you how dare you say I don't love you I'm your mother I'll show you how much I love you and then she would spank him even more anyway he tells the story better than I do but that's uh, that's what it is and you and and when you're being spanked thank God for it because God loves you enough to discipline you that if he didn't love you he wouldn't be disciplining you but if you were without discipline of which all have become partakers if you somehow is, are escaping what does that tell you what does that mean you are illegitimate children and not sons. We're not supposed to talk about this today, right? We don't want to shame whatever. Our culture has totally lost everything with respect to uh, sex outside of marriage or, or children born outside of wedlock or any of the, the shame. It's not just a social stigma and it's not a society shame. It is a biblical principle of the, uh, the covenant of marriage and the legitimacy of children. Everything in, in, in the scripture is addressed the legitimacy of children for the rightful inheritance and the issues there. So anyway, when the Bible talks about bastards, it uses rough language. And, and we need to be biblical in our understanding of bastardy. If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. And this is how the Bible is describing, and, and they creep into churches, I don't know why they stick around, but they're not born again, they're not sons, but they, they might be church members, they might be, um, you know, what are they doing here? Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Notice how the family dynamic is, is an earthly replica of the heavenly dynamic notice that god has designed for parenting to to instill these norms to instill this principle so that we understand that parental discipline is for our good and that's true in with biological families and that's true with the with the royal family of god that the parental discipline is good and when god disciplines us rejoice and 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 it is an item of respect be thankful for that if you have a fear of the Lord, do you reverence your God? Then you should honor the uh, discipline that he puts you under. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. It's one of my favorite phrases in all of the book of Hebrews. <laughs> all right? As seemed best to them. Honestly, parents, as unto the Lord, you do what you do, and God bless you. And, 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 and sometimes you, you don't know. And you just... You're praying and you're loving and you're disciplining and you're just, you're at your wit's end and, and you're just, you're doing the best you know as seems best as unto the Lord. And is it is it too much? Is it too little? Is it too long? Is it too short? Um, just pray hard and trust God's doing it. Okay? Now, that's on our side of things with imperfect parents. Okay? But he is not an imperfect parent. And he's not limited in his understanding. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. It, it not only seems best to him, it is best. It is best to him, it is best to you, and it is best. 
because it's part of all things working together for good. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. This is where, again, going back to Proverbs 28, that, that expression is used about afterward, right? Afterward. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with a tongue. So there's time that's going by there. The immediate response may not be favor. The immediate response could be rejection. That delayed appreciation doesn't happen immediately. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. While it's happening, while the blows are being administered, while the, the pain is, is still ongoing. Yeah, do you have an appreciation for it at that time? <laughs> you go, wow, that really hurt. <laughs> no. Yet afterwards, yet to those who have been trained by it, what does that mean? You've been trained by it. That means the thought process has been remedied. The, the decision-making process has been altered. The, the discipline has accomplished the training it was intended to do. The lesson has been learned. Your nose has been rubbed in it. And you say, I don't like that. Okay? And so the training takes place. And it's not fun while it's happening. But once the training is accomplished... And the, and the child learns, you know what? If I, if I uh, or, the, or the puppy, whatever, learns, you know, if I, if I don't pee on the floor, then I won't have my nose rubbed in it, okay? Or, or whatever. You start to learn, hey, I don't like this discipline. I'm going to change my behavior so I don't get more of that discipline. Those who have been trained by it. That means time has gone by, and we've learned, and we've grown, and we've changed our thinking. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? There is a fruit yield, a fruit production. It, it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, in, in, a, in a certain way. I don't want to be like Paul. I mean, we can't, we got to say, may it never be. Shall I sin more that grace may abound? No, may it never be. Okay. Um, do I want to yield more fruit? by going through more discipline? No. But we all have to learn something, and we've got to learn, and we've got to keep learning, and, uh, and the issue's there. Okay? Do we have somebody at the door there, Dean? I see somebody walking past the, uh, the glass. All right. Almost done. So, um, afterwards... Those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So the delayed appreciation that can come, it may not come immediately, but down the road it can come, and, and pray that it does. Okay? And even if it doesn't come, coming back here to uh, Proverbs 28, even if it doesn't come, still, if it's behavior that should be rebuked, why would you flatter? Why would you flatter? That's, that's, just, uh, that's just artificial and, and phony anyway. Flattering with a tongue, where is that uh, ever described as a good thing? Okay? You, know, you should give honor to whom honor is due and praise that which is praiseworthy. Uh, there, there should be boasting in the Lord. There should be appropriate uh, praise. That's a biblical thing. Um, and, and a man should praise his wife. But flattery? 
the empty flattery, that's, uh, you got to guard against that as well. All right, so we have that. Finally, and I don't think we can't teach all of this in 10 minutes, but when we do come back in two weeks, we are going to um, center on this some more. He who robs his father and mother. He who robs his father and mother. And you say, well, who does that? Oh, trust me. Okay? The, the devouring of widows' houses and the abuse, um, it, it's repeatedly throughout the Proverbs. Uh, the cursing your father and mother. Is, the, the death penalty was assigned for this, by the way, under Mosaic law. Uh, you were commanded to honor your father and mother in the Ten Commandments, and cursing them led to the death penalty. Bringing them physical harm, death penalty. Robbing them, death penalty. Okay, this is, this is a, a, a capital offense. Even worse is to do so in the name of religion. He who robs his father or mother and says, it is not a transgression. I found a loophole. I found a way around it. I found a way that I can steal from you. And, uh, and it's n there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's, it's a good thing. The Pharisees invented it. And they, they twisted the doctrine of Korban. They twisted something from the Old Testament, and they found it as their tax shelter. <laughs> they found it as, their, um, as their, their theft, their sanctified theft. And boy, did Jesus tear into them. Okay? And he said, you are violating the Scriptures for the sake of your traditions. So, he who robs his father or his mother and says it is not a transgression is the companion of a man who destroys. And you have that destruction, and you get into some of the, um, some of the language there, and, and you get into um, you know, some pretty ferocious terminology related to angelic conflict, related to uh, a lot of things in, in the destroyer, realms of destruction. Okay? So... Um, We'll pick up on this next week. I think we're familiar with Matthew 15 or Mark 7. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. <coughs> okay. First of all, all of the, the cleansing procedures were for the priests and the Levites. Right? The Pharisees then took the priests and Levites' imperatives and applied it to everybody, and created a Pharisaical religion that was not biblical. So Jesus just throws it back at him and says, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You guys are violating Mosaic law, and you should be put to death. For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, and here's their dodge, here's how they steal. What uh, you say, um, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your traditions. So you found your dodge. You don't have to support your parents because you, uh, you can use the korban as a, as a way to, to not provide help. To not, uh, to not meet their needs. Anyway, that's just a quick rundown. We've taught this. We'll teach it again. We'll, uh, we'll come back to this two weeks from today.
Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the blessings of Proverbs. Make them real to each one of us as we study to show ourselves approved. Father, thank you for the practical applications, and I pray that we can see how timeless these are. I pray that we continue to um, understand Proverbs as principles, not doctrines, not promises. I pray that we can uh, glean these principles and have the uh, wisdom and the understanding to make the appropriate applications. They transcend dispensations. They're true for Israel, true for the church, true for the millennium, true for for every age, Father. And I pray that we appreciate uh, the practicality of these things that we're learning here today. We give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.